There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. In school, it's just not encouraged. We're crying out for young people to do apprenticeships. What you need to do is be on my side. But every time that it happens, we have to talk about how the good men feel. They sent me on for psychiatric assessment and they said that the thing that's going to fix it is housing. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Thursday morning. Uh, was anybody listening last night who are listening who was at Harry Styles? Last night, the excitement on the trains up and the buses up yesterday was <laughs> huge. And my daughter and a couple of her friends were at the gig in the Aviva last night, and the pictures, like all from the Aviva Stadium right up the Lewis Line into the Dart or whatever, and into the middle of Dublin, was like was just party party central all day yesterday uh, I believe he was very good I'm not exactly into the guy his new single's very good but his music goes a little bit over my head but at the same time he is massive I was down last night at the Pet Shop Boys uh, at the Marquee they were brilliant they were just dynamite uh, fantastic two hours hit after hit after hit huge crowd at the Marquee uh, and and what do you think of the, the Chemical Brothers pulled out of tonight um, saying illness is to blame? And look, maybe maybe that's true. That, well, I've no doubt it's true. They put it up on the social yesterday. Someone is not well. But they're going to play Glastonbury at the weekend. Uh, that, that won't go down too well. Someone was tweeting that last night. Oh, yeah, if they pull out of Cork and play Grand Glastonbury, that won't go down well at all. But there was a lot on last night and a lot not on tonight now in Cork. Uh, Darrow Breen's at the marquee. Uh, tonight uh, and uh, Cameron Brothers were supposed to have been at, at Moser but, but they won't be but I'd be interested to talk to anyone who was at Harry Styles I think for a lot of people yesterday Harry Styles was their first big gig as a teenager uh, so how was he? was he great? oh by the way while I match you or while I have a, a second and I'll forget this if I don't uh, Moraid our own Moraid Tuig a Justice Media Award if you don't mind for our Mimsy in the Human Rights and Social Justice Reporting category 
at the Justice Media Awards for a story she did on period poverty. Well done to her. Well done to her. Yeah, yeah. someone is saying that um, Harry Styles is like a modern-day David Bowie. Well, certainly his dress sense on stage. I saw some pics that were being sent around last night. He came on stage at the Aviva in this kind of a yellow and green, looked luminous jumpsuit, <laughs> which would remind some people of... Um, of uh, David Bowie, do we have a do we have a clip? We do. Hang on, let's try. I, you know what? I'll, I'll find the clip in just a sec. I'll find the clip in in just a sec. But uh, let me hold on. Give me a minute now. Give me a second. Talk among yourselves for a minute. I think we've got a clip. Ooh, we do. Here you go. Here's what Harry, here's Harry Styles getting on stage last night. Oh, the place was rocking. Harry Styles at the Aviva last night. 0818 96 96 96. But first, to more serious business. So, Dr. Anne McKenna, as a consultant plastic surgeon, it's fair to say, I think, that tonight, June 23rd, is a night that you and your colleagues dread. Yeah, bonfire night, a busy night in Ireland. And unfortunately, there's always at least one patient who will be admitted to intensive care. And there's anything up to 10 to 30 children who will be admitted into beds requiring ongoing care for burns they'll receive. Yeah, we're being told, you know, the day of the bonfire is, is long past and we, we now want to call it non-fire night and move on a bit. But, but some people will insist on, on lighting bonfires and accidents will happen. They will. And, you know, it's been a challenging couple of years for the people of Cork and Ireland. And there haven't been very many opportunities where we can gather and have fun. Uh, so I can see the appeal. And it's, it's lovely to get together outside and spend time with friends and family. But what we have to remember is the weather has been unusually dry yes. in the last week or two. And the ground, the wood, the rubbish, it's all really dry, which means things will catch fire quite easily. And we're just a bit concerned that people might be taken by surprise by their fires this year. Yeah, children in particular can get into very uh, difficult situations very quickly. They can. It's usually the toddler age group and the teenage age group. Toddlers, you know, they move so quickly and they'll just trip and fall. And unfortunately, they tend to Superman into the bonfire. Um, with the teenagers, it tends to be more around rough play and they'll just be pushing each other and someone will get pushed in. Yeah. Actually, the, the younger age group do better because adults will be much quicker to lift up a small child. They're easier to lift, but, but teenagers can be harder to get out. And unfortunately, when people fall into a bonfire, the first thing you do is you put your hands down to try and push yourself up and out. Yes. And that's when people really can develop devastating handburns, trying to get themselves out of the fire. Yes. And with things like accelerants, for example, clothes can start to burn very quickly. Hair can start to burn very quickly. It must be a, a doctor's nightmare to see uh, these injuries coming in. It can. And, you know, really it's devastating not only for, for the patients, but also for their families. And unfortunately, what, what people don't appreciate is, is whilst the burn 
as you see it in the moment, is traumatic. That patient has to live with that burn for the rest of their life. And unfortunately, it's, it's the first thing that people see when they meet new people. So if they're going on a date or a job interview or a promotion, it, it's just really the first thing that we see about them. And whilst in time, it's the least relevant. It's, it's the one thing that every, everyone will ask about them. So something that happens in a second, unfortunately, defines them forever. Yeah. Children, like you said, particularly vulnerable toddlers, but something else as well is the structure of a fire can cause something like a pallet to fall and that can pin anybody down and those seconds or minutes can do devastating damage. They can and and I think we always underestimate how heavy pallets are and there's a reason we see forklift trucks uh, popping them out of lorries. They're very heavy, they're quite cumbersome. And also when they're partially burnt, they can be falling apart as you're trying to lift them out. Um, So really, if you're building a bonfire, I mean, great. The Cork Fire Brigade and Fire Brigades all over Ireland go to great work and effort around these events. But don't build them too high. Make sure they're as stable as possible. So as you say, pieces don't fall off and pin people. Don't use accelerants. And think about something that might happen. So so I always advise people, why don't you bring a fire blanket with you to an event? They're usually about 1.1 by 1.1 metre. There's usually one in most kitchens and just have it at the side. And at least then if, if a child falls, you just throw the fire blanket on them, scoop them around and lift them up so that you're trying to protect A, yourself as the rescuer and B, you're extinguishing the fire on the child. Yeah, I'll come back to that point that a rescuer trying to jump in can end up severely injured themselves. But uh, reading your comments to the Echo today, it's a Cork thing. Bonfire night's a Cork thing. But of course, Cork's a very different city now. There was one very tragic story you told about a family who had no English and found themselves caught up in a tragedy like this. That's right. Um, A toddler fell into the fire and it, it was unwitnessed by the adults. So an older sibling uh, tried to pull her out and her clothes caught fire. And when the adults saw what had happened, uh, they, were, they were distraught and they rang 999, but nobody had enough English to explain what was happening nor give the address. So the parents ended up going from door to door to door down the road to try and get somebody who could understand them and it resulted in it that an ambulance didn't end up being successfully called for nearly an hour. I, an hour after a born life. That, that must do untold damage. Truthfully, most of the damage occurs at the time. Really? Um, but but it, it really does. I, it, it's a horrible image, but, but if you think about cooking meat in the frying pan at home, it, it's the contact with the heat does the burning, and then when you take the meat off the heat source, the main burn as such has already occurred. The only thing that can actually improve a burn or make it less severe is immediate cooling. So the fire brigade would also recommend that you keep a bucket of water or a hose nearby. And should anybody be burned, that burned part should immediately be placed into water or have running water placed over it for 20 minutes. And that can actually cool tissue so that the burn damage um, isn't as severe and hopefully may not require surgery. Mm. 
your hope tonight, finally, Doctor, is it'll be a quiet night for you and your colleagues, but inevitably you're there waiting. We are, and what all plastic surgeons hope for on bonfire night is rain. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. We hope it's going to rain. Um, for the children and adults of Cork tonight, the weather forecast is beautiful. It's going to be dry with very little wind. Um, so, so please be safe, Kate. Keep a good perimeter away from the fire. Mm. Supervise the very young, the very old and animals. And think about keeping a fire blanket and mm. some water nearby. Or better still, have no fire at all. Better still. Dr. McKenna, thank you very much for being with us. Hope you have a quiet night. Take care. Oh, thank you. <laughs> That's Dr. Anne McKenna. She's a consultant plastic surgeon at the Bonds. Just ahead of bonfire night tonight. Or non-fire night as they now want us to call it and they don't want us to have bonfires but inevitably somebody will and she's just warning if you must do it do it safely 0818 96 96 96 what are your plans? I remember and you don't have to go back too many years I can remember even 10 years ago bonfire night was a huge night there'd be bonnets on every hill but then the council started bringing in these organised events and they got very popular to be fair they did was it Darren Murphy, when he was Lord Mayor, brought those in. I, I could be wrong, but I think it was. And then they got very popular with families and things. But inevitably, other people will set up their own bonfires and the fire brigade always have a busy night on Bonner Night. What are your plans? Are you going out with the family? Are you going to bring the kids out to an event, to a, a fire or to a non-fire? What do you plan? 0818 96 96 96. You text to WhatsApp is 083 396 96 96. Pop us a voice message on that if you'd like to do so. What are you planning for Bonfire Night tonight? We used to, we won't even do it, although I'm going, I'm going to, I'm going to the Marquis tonight, but what we used to do, uh, back in the day when the kids were small was we used to pop them into the car and we would drive around uh, to all the bonus sites, all the well-known bonus sites. And we'd sit in the car and we'd watch the bonas and watch people acting the aegis around the bonna. And it was, it was always fun. But like Dr. McKenna said, we didn't see what was happening the, the following morning. People suffering injuries and toddlers and teenagers falling into the fire. And then the toddler falls in and you grab them and you're burnt and they're burnt. Oh, God. So what are the plans for tonight? What are you up to? 0818 96 96 96. Cork's Gold Imro Award winning sports show. Right, right here, right there. The score on Cork's 96 FM. Join me, Trevor Welch, Sundays from 2 for the best music mix and all the latest sport as we bring you the big match reaction from Cork versus Dublin in the All Ireland Senior Football Championship quarterfinals plus the local derby at Turnus Cross between Cork City and Cove Ramblers. Right here, right there. Yeah. Join Trevor Welch for the score this Sunday from 2 p.m. on Cork's 96 FM. This is a good call. Thank you for making it. It might be timely to mention that a lot of people don't know you should not put cream or butter on burns. It can make it much worse, as I unfortunately found out myself. I put cream on a bad burn. The creams they use in hospital are specially formulated and nothing like butter or the types of over-the-counter creams that are available. PJ, bonfires will never stop, so why don't we have controlled fires with no rubbish in them and burn them as cleanly as possible and have emergency services there? That's what the council 
run events were. They were built properly by people who knew what they were doing. And there was music and there used to be a food truck or two there. Before food trucks were food trucks, it would be a chipper wagon. <laughs> I mean, that's what we used to call them, chipper wagons. And there might be music there. But if you have a hundred organised events, you'll still have people who organise their own. It's just how it is. But good. Dr. McKenna was saying, if you are going to have a fire tonight, bring a fire blanket if you've got one. Take it down out of the wall in the kitchen and bring it with you. And if it is a thing that you're organising a bonfire tonight, have cold water there. And the thing to do, if someone burns a hand or a leg or a foot or whatever, just stick it into cold water and leave it in the cold water until someone comes to take care of them. 0818 96 96 96. Now, Trish, you got in touch with us, but I haven't been in there in a long time because I think of what you're about to tell me. Bishop Lucy Park, good morning. Yes, good morning. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. Um, It's not not the nicest of places at the moment, is it? Do you know, um, PJ, it's, it's so embarrassing to see the amount of tourists that come from the English market over into the park they pick up a nice bit of lunch inside in the market. They come into the park. There isn't a seat that you can sit on. They are covered in bird poo. Uh, the, 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 the fountain in there hasn't actually been in use for God knows how long. It's yeah. full of rubbish. Um, dry, of course, full of rubbish. All the outer a- area of the fountain is actually just covered in bird poo. I went in yesterday with my granddaughter, Tuesday with my granddaughter, she's two and a half, and she likes to pick up stones and throw them into the fountain. When there was water in it, we would be throwing pennies and that into That's it. Right. Yeah. Um, but even for her to lean her arms on the edge, like I was, I was running after her a packet of baby wipes all the time. Now she's two and a half, she tripped up, didn't hurt herself, but when she got up, her hand was covered in dog poo. And I started really freaking out at that stage. Like I, we sat down to have a little bit of lunch. I, I found it hard to find a seat that didn't have bird poo on it. All of, and, and there's all the kind of cobblestone way is covered in poo. The walls are covered, the little walls that you can sit on. And then there's an area that she likes to sit, to, to play in, um, Sometimes when she meets up with other children, they wouldn't be friends. So you just, you know, start chatting with other yeah. other women and the kids would start playing together. Um, and there's an area that they like to play in covered, I mean, up three feet high of nettles. Like where there are children playing, nettles. I nearly freaked because she did a little trip again and I thought, I'm going to the Mercy Hospital here with her. Because if she gets nettles in her hands and her face, like in her legs, I'm... Uh, I, and, you know, I, we had to leave. I just, I was disgusted. I remember a few years ago, there would have been flowers, pansies and that all planted and growing around the side. It used to be lovely. And now it's, it used to be lovely. It used to be lovely. The trees are too overgrown. It's quite cold inside there because the trees are too overgrown. There's no sunlight comes in there at all. Now, I know, like, you know, Bishop Lucy Park has been an issue for a long, long time. You had, you know... You had people loitering around there, drinking and taking drugs. And, yeah. and I know that they solved that problem. Um, that is pretty okay right now, that situation. But I don't understand why they close the park in the evening and don't power wash the seating. Like nobody could sit anywhere yesterday. There was so much bird poo on all the chairs. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. disgusting. Yeah, I mean, we have disgusting. a parks department which is responsible for that kind of thing. 
Well, you know, I mean, I, look, Fitzgerald's Park is beautiful. Yes, they have their full-time maintenance there anyway within the park. But why, like, that is about the only green space we really have in the city centre. It's the only public amenity that's there. And, yes, a lot of people go there with their children after school or after preschool yes. and meet up. Yes. Um, but it, I, 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 you know, I just want to, I just don't know what to do, whether to go into the park and get people in there to give an opinion and sign a petition and take it to the parks department or whatever. Something has to be done about it. I felt disgraced and embarrassed in front of tourists, the way that they were looking at it and afraid to sit on seats and and I don't blame them. And it it was, I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed to say, yeah, Cork is filthy, like, and the park is filthy. Yeah, it's yeah. a couple of couple of it's weeks. Couple broken of week, glass couple of, everywhere as well. Yeah, yeah. A couple of weeks ago, the guy from CNN was here, and he he pointed out that That's they right. were a bit drab, and people got up on their high horse and their hind legs and started giving out about it. No, he was quite kind to us in no, the eventual sorry, but program, but he. That's right. But people That's got up right. on their hind legs about it. But I mean, seriously, if any if any international journalist filming a tourist program was to walk through what you've just described, absolutely, absolutely, it was disgraceful. And I look, I've been saying it for years and years and years. There is no pride in this city, none whatsoever. Nobody gives a damn about it. The corporation don't care about maintenance and upkeep. Any time there's been any kind of a monument or or um, some a tribute or something in the city built, even little fountains or things, that after a year maintenance is gone, they take them down. Where do they go? They're going into a little graveyard there at the back of the brewery, uh, sculptures that are being that are costing thousands and thousands. And they're just thrown, dumping them at the back of the brewery and leaving I've, I've them there. I've heard that story, so that, that's why I'm not interrupting you. I know that story. But the thing, with, the thing that I mean, yeah. the, 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 the Bishop Lucy Park gets cleaned up every year to put glow into it, the Christmas display, and that's brilliant. That's right, and it's that's beautiful. Fabulous. But if they just clean oh, it up, oh, absolutely. Like we do. I don't know if you've noticed it, Trish, in your garden. Um, but we have, we seem to have some kind of a pandemic of bird poo this year anyway. I'm certainly cleaning my outside furniture more than I normally would. Absolutely. And we have huge amount of an influx of seagulls, more than we've ever had. Yeah. Well, of course, it's probably all to do with global warming. And Who cares what thing, it's to know? do with it? A power washer would solve a lot of problems down there. A power washer? Yeah. Like, even if you found a seat that had a little bit of, that was clean. When, when I say clean now, I mean the bird poo was dried in enough that it wouldn't stain your clothes when you'd sit on it. It wasn't yeah, wet but, poo. But it's still dark. But still when dangerous. my daughter, my granddaughter, yeah, my granddaughter climbs up on it, she's kneeling on it yeah. with her hands over the back of the, the chairs. When you look at the back of the benches, they are just white right. stains rained right. down the back. And, 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 and oh. That that stuff. A power washer. In fairness, it it'll it'll dissolve under a power washer, completely dissolve and run away. Completely, completely, and um, you know all the nettles. I mean, yeah, I I just can't. And we we go in there at least once a week, if not twice a week. I'm not. Yes, Tuesday. That was the end for me. Is a lawnmower or a flipping set of clippers or something? You know. Yeah, yeah, but it's the glass. It's the dog poo. It's the glass. It's the the. The, the nettles and um, the lack of flour, 
the lack of colour in there. Yeah. You know, we have a beautiful mural up on that wall, the side yeah, wall. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's fantastic, beautiful, but there's no other colour inside there, and the trees are just so overgrown now that it's dark, it's dank, it's dirty. Yeah. Um, it's not a pleasant place to be. No, you just you describe it. Unfortunately, as I say, Trish, you describe it very, very well. And you're not the first one to say it, but you're you're one of the first to come forward and go on the air about it. Thank you, Trish. Uh, Bishop Lucy Park, uh, her description of it, her description of it actually is, what she's describing is an unkempt kip. Uh, Carla says that woman is right. You go to any of the towns in Cork, their parks are pristine. Cork City Council doing nothing for this place. You know it's part of a new public walkway thing that they've got for the big new multi-million euro development for all that part of Cork. It's going to be redeveloped over the next couple of years, but would they not clean it now? I mean, it's middle of summer. Would they not clean it? Power wash it? Pick up the glass? Cut the flipping nettles? Plant a few flowers? Just let, and, and, and turn on the fountain? The fountain was lovely when it ran. It's a lovely, if you've never seen it, it's actually a lovely fountain because of the way the metal structures and the water flows down. It's lovely. Bishop Lucy Park. Are you listening, City Hall? What's going on with it? Let me show you what it's all about. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Summertime in Cork means gigs, festivals, and I've got free tickets. The hottest tickets in town, they are yours. Well done. Thank you. I'm sitting down with the celebs and having random conversations like Hosier. What's your favourite chocolate bar? I was asked a question, what's your favourite Irish snack? Yeah. And I said, it's a snack called snack. <laughs> <laughs> and these guys, they're here too. Ed Sheeran here. This is Adele. Hey, it's me, Justin Bieber. Let me show you what it's all about. Send me that. Simon Murdoch, midday to 4pm. With Ford Gosh Energy, a summer boiler service keeps you warm in the winter. So get a great deal with FordGoshEnergy.ie On Cork's 96FM Do you remember last month, was it last month it was, we were talking to Hug, that's the group set up by people bereaved uh, by suicide, uh, and they set up one group in Cork and now they think they've got enough interest for a second one. I was talking to some of the members of Hug about the work they do and how they do it, uh, and uniquely everybody involved has lost someone through suicide. Well, we were contacted after that by someone who picked up the phone to hug on foot of that interview. And for the very first time since her own daughter died, she felt relief. I'll let you hear that one. After the 10 o'clock news, medical shortages are always a worry. But one in particular at the moment is particularly Worrisome, Jennifer, this is insulin pumps for diabetics. Good morning. Morning, PJ. How are you? Yeah, that's right. Um, so I suppose just to, to give you a bit of background, it's actually my son, Oshin, that's the diabetic in our family. He's yes. seven. Yes. Um, and he is on an insulin pump for the last four years. But where we're having an issue is that his pump is actually out of warranty at the end of August. And what we've been told is that if something happens to the pump, and it should fail or there's an issue with it, when it's out of warranty, we'll have to go back to injections with Oshin rather than the pump. Right. So it's a, it's, it's a huge worry because I suppose the pump for Oshin, it just gives him, it gives him a lot more freedom 
Yeah. It gives us a lot better control. Um, it allows us to do things that we can't do if we were back on injections. Yeah. So it is, it's, it's a huge worry. And it, it, it takes the worry as well of keeping his levels under control. It takes that worry away from you. Because I know someone was on with me before about uh, their lad had had one of these things and yeah. it was more easy to yeah. monitor. Yeah, it is. I mean, with the pump fruit, just to, to give you a small example, Oshin does, Oshin is a complete live where he doesn't stop going from when he gets up in the morning until he goes to bed at night. And he, lo- he loves sport. He does GA, he does gymnastics, he does everything he can do, he does. Mm. But I suppose with, specifically with gymnastics, what we find is when he goes into gymnastics, his bloods, they drop like a stone. So no matter what I do, it's really hard to keep his bloods up. Mm. And just from talking to a person that I know that's diabetic for 20 years, she suggested reducing his insulin maybe three hours before he starts gymnastics. So we started doing that. We started going into school and reducing his insulin on his pump so that he was getting less insulin for those three hours before gymnastics. And it's made such a difference. His levels are completely controlled when he's in gymnastics now. But again, if we go back to injections, he gets an injection in the morning and he gets an injection in the evening and you can't reduce that during the day because it's obviously in his system. Yes. So then you're left in a situation where you're trying to feed that that insulin. So you're trying to give him snacks and you're trying to give him jellies and you're trying to yes. do all these things. It's a constant balancing up. act. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like walking a tightrope and I suppose the pump just makes it that little bit more easier to manage and it just allows us... Mm. To, to give him better control. Just for the benefit of people who mightn't understand it, Jennifer, so the pump that he presently has, working away fine, I presume, yeah. out of warranty in, in August, would it normally be changed then? Is that how it works? Yeah, so I suppose the normal, I suppose the way it's working or the way it has worked up until now is when the pump is out of warranty, you get a new pump. Um, and it tends to be a better pump. It tends to be an upgrade on the previous pump. So we would have been due to get an upgrade in August and it would be a better pump. It would be a more, I suppose, a better quality, a higher quality upgrade. pump. They're, they're it advancing all the yeah, time, it technology is advancing yeah, all the time. Would, yeah. it, it's improving, yeah. So it would, it would even give us better control. But at the situation at the minute, is it's, it's paused in the hospital, so they're not actually giving out upgrades at the minute. And there's also training involved. So when you get a new pump, you obviously need to be trained up in how to use it. Mm-hmm. So ideally, we should be in a position now where we're looking at what pump we, we're going to go with mm-hmm. and we're, we're, we're not there. So even, even that, I suppose, not knowing what pump you're getting, you can't research it, you can't... No. And, and have they you told you how long it might be before they can replace it? Not really. Um, I suppose the, the, the latest update that we've got from the hospital for Oshin is that they're hoping to start back with the pumps at the end of July, but that under sixes will be prioritised because obviously the younger that a child is when they're diagnosed, the harder it is to manage mm-hmm. and the pump does make it easier. So the under sixes will be prioritised. But beyond that, it's hard to know because obviously there's a big backlog now as well. Mm-hmm. How old is Oshin? Oshin will be seven next month. So okay. he's he's almost seven and he was diagnosed when he was two and a half. So it's um, it's a lot. And I mean, it's not unique to us. We're not the only ones that yeah. are in the situation where they're facing a pumping out of warranty or there are people whose pumps are already out of warranty. So it's it's not it's not unique to us by any means. Yeah. And I guess, look, the chances are, I suppose, Jennifer, it'll keep working away fine until you yeah. get your replacement. But it's still a worry. 
It is. I mean, we've already had an issue in that there's been a motor issue with the pump and right. from looking at it, that tends to be kind of a sign that things are starting to fail. How, how long so does, do, they, do they leave each one in? Um, the pump itself, well, we, we change the pump every day. So we'd say the set that's on that's connected to his body, that gets changed every second day. But mm. the pump itself, generally, it's, it's four years as the warranty on I them. see. I see. It's worrying. Yeah. yeah. It's worrying. It is. It, it certainly is. And I suppose like that it's hard to, to kind of prepare Roisin for the prospect that he might need to go back to injections. Mm. And we'd be talking at a minimum five injections a day. Oh, my God. And kind of not wanting to scare him, saying you might have to go back to this. But at the same time, having to tell him, because if the pump does fail, you have to go back to injections immediately. There's no there's no time for him to get his head around it. Yes. Because he, he needs the insulin, so he has to go back straight away. Right. So, I mean, we're, we're kind of preparing him now just in case it does happen. And, I mean, that's 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 not nice telling him that. And, I mean, even just in terms of the injections, like, you can't give injections too close together. So, for a very hungry seven-year-old, having to tell him that he's just had an injection so he can't eat for now while he can't have anything with carbs until his next injection. I mean, that's that's very hard for, for a child. Yeah. Uh, you'd hope it's you'd, you'd, I see where Mick Barry raised it in the doll uh, yesterday yeah, and right. he says it's down to understaffing uh, and things yeah, like that yeah and I mean it, the, yeah and it's 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 not it's, it's this isn't new I mean back in 2019 there was protests outside the hospital trying to get more consultants I mean it's it's not new I mean the, the, the hospital themselves and the consultants have come out themselves and said that they need more staffing yes so it's not it's not it's not new and it's not unique, um, but it is it is a worry and it is it is concerning. And I mean, his team are fantastic in the hospital. I mean, you couldn't fault the team, yes. Yes. but it's just the resources aren't there and it's the system that's failing him. And it's it's very hard as a parent to see that and not to be in a position to say, okay, we can fix this for you because we we can't. All we can do is advocate for him and and yeah. hope that. That things get better. It's just another sign, Jennifer, of, of where we are uh, with public services in the country and services for, for children with, with, with different needs and requirements. I hope it all gets sorted. I hope it gets all gets sorted soon. And I hope that when the warranty does run out, that it gets changed from as quickly as possible. Thank you, Jennifer. And all our best to Oshin. He's seven. It will be seven soon. No pumps. They can't replace us. Because they haven't got the staff. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six, and like you said, not a new problem. I remember talking to diabetes, to parents of children with diabetes, years ago about it. Now maybe not about this problem, but about other problems. McBerry brought it up yesterday in the doll. Whether anything will happen, one doesn't know. Come here. Have you had a knock on the door from the uh, television license inspector? Uh, the postman came this morning with a registered letter from the TV licence people. Apparently they've sent out hundreds of registered letters for people to go to court. I only had the one visit from the inspector. I wasn't there at the time. Is this the government's answer to the cost of living crisis? A gentler approach might surely have been better. And somebody else... Uh, now, we did send an email to the... Uh, on post, who, who handled the, the television licence connection we've sent them an email asking them a number of questions uh, can a summons be sent on the basis of one missed call by the inspector can a summons be sent with no evidence that you even own 
a TV. What are the enforcement policies under the current cost of living circumstances? And basically, is there a new get tough policy on the collection of the television license? I know what happens in our house. Um, Queen B looks after the, the television license and it comes in, the letter comes in telling you your license will run out and it goes down behind the bread bin and she says, I'll sorry, oh yeah, I will. I'll run down to the post office now and throw the money over the counter at them. They'll get it when I feel like giving it to them, when I have it to give them. But now it seems there's loads. Of, did you, anyone listening, they got, we have one call that they got a registered letter to go to court. Um, anybody else? Are they getting tough on the television license? I mean, at a time at a time when people can't put petrol in the car, at a time when people can't afford to put food in front of the children, at a time when back to school this year is going to be a treble and double, treble, double and treble the nightmare it ever was for for families. Is this a government department getting tough on a television license? You would hope not, wouldn't you? 0818 96 96 96. We sent those questions off. We'll tell you if we get any answers. 0818 96 96 96. Now, a lot of people crib and give out and get very cross when the name Tusla is mentioned for any number of reasons. It's an organisation and people who work in Tusla that I know would nod their heads sagely and say, yeah. It's not an organisation that people like very much. That's that's fair to say. No one likes to have to deal with them. But a bursary scheme, this is a brilliant idea. A bursary scheme to give young people who've been in care a boost uh, in their education has been launched by Tusla. It's the second year of this now. It gives them a cash injection to those people who've over 18 and who've grown out of the care system now to move on to the next level of their education and help them achieve their career goals. It's a really, really cool idea. And Thomas Monaghan, uh, you benefited from this. You, you, you've, you've had one of these bursaries and it's helped you. Good morning. Hi, PJ. How are you? I have indeed, yes. Yeah. Tell me about it. Well, absolutely. I suppose with the bursary scheme, as you said, it's to give care experienced young people a bit of a financial boost towards the cost of their education. It, it is in its second year and the overall aim is to really help them with their, uh, help them to achieve their career goals, you know. So there's an, uh, the bursary, you can apply for it for up to 5,000 euro in funding. And personally, when I applied for it, I put it towards my uh, master's course, which was held in the Smurfit School of Business. And the course itself cost 15,000 euro. Now, I've, I've been in care since I was just two days old. I was very lucky to be placed with a family in County Mayo um, with Josie and Gerald Corr. And I have two sisters who are also fostered in the area. So I was fostered right up until I was 18. And when I left for college, I was placed into the aftercare system and I was assigned an aftercare worker. And I have to say, like, I received incredible support from Tuzla during my years in college. And particularly when I finished in the Students' Union in UCD and applying for my master's, I I can't tell you how much it helped me. I had emptied my piggy bank, I had taken out loans, but I didn't really have any other source of funding due to my care history. Um, I'm not aware of who, who my father is. My my mother is not able to care for children. 
and so so without this bursary I wouldn't have been able to do my masters and I wouldn't have been able to you know graduate with my course and my class and I have to say this this scheme launched by Tuzla is a fantastic initiative for supporting our young people in care and ensuring that they have the best uh, future possible yeah it's a fantastic idea because one of the things that you hear again you hear it uh, I don't know whether it's true but when you age out of, of, of the care system sometimes you can be just cut off but you're proof of the fact that that's not what happens you, you there is actually great support there Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, there, there can be situations uh, where where people who leave the care system, they can, they can be cut off, they can maybe um, go their own way and maybe lose sight of, of what they should be doing and what's important in life. Now, it's on a case-by-case situation, mm. but, you know, schemes like this and initiatives like this, this is really what we should be doing to support our young people uh, who are in care because, you know, a lot of them may not get the same um, resources or the same chances or opportunities uh, as to those who are not placed in care. So I have to say, I know you spoke about how people may not have sometimes a great impression of Tuzla, but I can tell you for certain that if it wasn't for them, I'm not sure where I'd be right now. I wouldn't be in such a fantastic position. I wouldn't have been able to do the Students' Union in UCD. I wouldn't have my Masters and I wouldn't have a brilliant job either. Where, Where are you working? I'm working um, uh, for a well-known entertainment company called Bingo Loco. Oh, yeah. We're based out of Dublin, and we actually we do shows in Cork all the time. We have an upcoming show in the, the Rochestown Park Hotel and in Dunmanway out west as well. So, yeah, yeah. I, I have spoken to people who um, the, the 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 word now is care experienced. We used to say grew up in care, but now we prefer to say care experienced. And they've talked about the fact that you know when you turn eighteen, it can be it can be very scary. Uh, the support is there, but you have to kind of, you have to work with them but it is there. Well, absolutely. See, that's it. And uh, The thing is, a lot of foster children growing up, you know, it's important that they get uh, a really good experience of, of the care system and of working with social workers and with Tuzla because, you know, people's situations like I said, they can vary, particularly when you're in care. Uh, I know a lot of people who have excellent experiences and I am aware of a few people who may not have had great experiences either so it is a case by case but it's very important for us as young people and those who are in care to reach out and to avail of these services whether they're financial supports or mental health supports because now more than ever and the way things have gone over the last couple of years we need to be really looking out for each other and looking out for our young people and just ensuring that we have you know the best future for ourselves possible and particularly with the cost of things these days PJ you know everything is going up and, you know, our wages aren't getting any higher yet anyways. Yeah. So we have to see what happens, you know. But I know, Thomas, that there's a, probably a lot of people listening to us right now who have either just come out of care or they know somebody in care and they may not be aware of this bursary and they may want to do something with their lives and be wondering, how can I afford it? How do they go about applying? Well, a simple Google of Tuzla Bursary Scheme will bring you to the page and it's on the Tuzla website. So I would encourage anyone who is thinking of applying for it, I absolutely would encourage them to apply for it, see if they're eligible 
and go through the process and the steps and you know detail out the care history as much as possible and especially what they're going to be using the scheme for as well you know the, the scheme can be used for anything kind of related to your education whether it's funding a third level course or purchasing your necessary materials your hardware laptops books you know, all of these really positive things. So have a quick Google Tuzla bursary scheme and look it up on the Tuzla website as well. All right. Listen, Thomas, congratulations on completing your master's and the, the great job at Bingo Loco. It's a super company. That's a wonderful program. That, that's, a, that's a really good news, good positive story. Money from Tusla to help you uh, with your education or your career if you've uh, been, as they say now, care experienced. We used to say grew up in care, but now care experienced. 0818 96 96 96. Let me tell you about a brand new radio station playing the biggest hits and shining a new light on Irish life with conversations around the issues that matter. I'm talking about Cork's 96 FM's Pride Live, Pride Vibes, which is live right now on the app or on the website. Join us as we count down to parades and celebrations across the country. It's on the website or the app, and it has its own website, uh, pridevibes.ie. It's supported by Voltrol, the joy of movement. And listen live now with Cork's 96 FM. The Cork Diary. On the Cork's 96 FM. The Cork Diary is a free service. So if you're a community group, a not-for-profit organisation, or you have a fundraising event you would like mentioned, let us know and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email the details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, we're still wondering what's going on with people getting registered letters from the TV licensed people. You can still do the saving stamps. Uh, Queen Bee does it and by the end of the year all you'll want is maybe 10 or 15 quid to top it up with them but at the same time at the same time they, they shouldn't they, they seem to be from the calls we got this morning they seem to be sending out registered letters now if you just miss one inspection which is a bit Irish to say the least this message says public TV should be paid and included in our taxes this way of financing public TV is obsolete and inefficient it should be a service given through our taxes as should be the collection of rubbish and many other public services we should be entitled as citizens we pay for them through our taxes the television license is for owning the actual television. That's the trick. Uh, although the RTE do benefit from it right, left and centre. Most, for most of the money goes into it. But you're not wrong. It's a public service and you wonder, do you not pay enough in your taxes already for services like that? 0818 96 96 96. I was telling you earlier on, um, you remember last month we were talking to HUG, uh, that very, very special group of people all of whom, all the members of HUG are all bereaved by suicide and, and they put together that group, a unique kind of group. Um, they already have one uh, group in Cork. They're trying to set up a second and we were contacted after I spoke to them the last time by Lisa, who on foot of hearing our conversation with HUG got in touch with them herself. I'll let you hear that story uh, in this hour. 
First of all, though, it was a wild night at the Aviva Stadium. Like, totally and utterly and absolutely wild. Crossy, you were all over it. Good morning. Good morning. Wow. What a gig. Yeah. Wow. Do you know what? It, he is one of the greatest performers. I've, you know, I go to gigs for a living and I've never seen such a bouncy and happy and free type of crowd ever before. I remember I was just watching at the Aviva and I went, everyone has smiles on their faces. Yeah. I sat beside a girl and look, we were on the edge of the row and she was like the, the edge seat. And I was like, are you with anyone? And she said, I've been trying to get a ticket since last year and I can't. I couldn't get a ticket. Every day on Ticketmaster, she went on and she found one ticket on Monday. Came up from Cavan, brought binoculars with her, 20 years of age, never been to a gig in her life, rarely in Dublin, got a, bu- a, a, a bus up at 6am to make sure she'd be at the Aviva to get her seat. And I just was like, you know, that encapsulates what a gig is or what a fandom is or what, you know, people do just to go in and see a gig. And I, I basically watched the gig through her eyes last night. My other half kept giving out to me because I kept going, do you want another photograph? Do you want another photograph? Come here, I'll, I'll get you a photograph over here. Stand down there, do this. Because I just think with those, we, the likes of Harry Styles, everyone who was a fan of his, you know, back maybe 10 years ago, are yeah. all in their 20s now. That's right. Some in their 30s. That's right. So they've all grown up with them. And it's very much, um, so it, it, he kept mentioning, like he was talking loads to the crowd, talking about, how nice it is to be in Dublin and in Ireland and that everyone should be open and free to be who they wanted to be. And he actually stopped the gig three times last night. Uh, three separate occasions he saw people, you know, may have been overwhelmed or may have, you know, have been standing for too long and probably were about to faint. And he stopped the gig three times to make sure the people were okay. Yeah. So it just, it was, it was such a weird, like weird but unreal weird gig. Yeah. Um, I Remember when, when One Direction way. broke up Crossy and yeah. people say, "Well, what happens now?" Well, I think, in fairness, some of the showbiz people that that I follow said, "You know what? Harry Styles will be okay." Oh, and do you know what? I'd say he could have filled out three of Eva's last night. Tickets were like gold dust, absolute yeah. gold dust. And he was around Dublin. He, he was around Dublin for two days, mm. and was he was walking, he jumped into the Irish Sea, which he mentioned last night. He went to a couple of restaurants on Monday and got turned away because the restaurants were too busy and they didn't recognise who Oh, he was. my God! <laughs> Imagine that! <laughs> now, that wouldn't happen in Cork. They'd, no. see, they'd see him and they'd be like, get in here, come on in. Oh, sure. nice. Listen, they were, they were feeding the Pet Shop Boys oh, Guinness brilliant. and sandwiches down in Kinsale on Monday or Tuesday. I thought all their birthdays would come together. Yeah, he, he, he comes across as a really... My, my daughter was at the gig and she is just weak for him. And all her mates were with her and we were at the rugby together myself and herself in February and as we were coming away from the Aviva she got a text from a pal of hers who just managed to nail down a ticket will you go and she oh, said really? dad I'll just go and queue up now if you don't mind <laughs> <laughs> and so it's, like, it's a great scene people I, I saw someone uh, tweet me earlier saying it's a great just to see everyone smiling and happy yeah. after the last two years we've what 60,000 people in the Aviva jumping and dancing and having a laugh. I'm like, no trouble, nothing like that whatsoever. Yeah. It was a re- really happy crowd. I, she sent me some pictures during the evening. It was a really, really happy crowd having a party, which was great to see. Come here, I had heard the story of Tala. But yeah. how, tell us how this happened, because we, you guys tracked down Quiva and we, we've got her on tape, but tell us the story. So basically, about, I'd say maybe 11 years ago, One Direction just formed 
and they came to Dublin. And Niall knew somebody in Tala in Dublin that was having a house party, and himself and Harry went to the house party. But during the house party, someone went over and headbutted Harry Styles and then ran away. So, which is a bit of a grim story to start with. But ever since then, every time Harry comes to Dublin, be it with One Direction or on his own, he always brings up the Tala story and goes, the last time I was in Dublin, I went to Tala. And some guy came over and he gave me a headbutt and then he ran away. And it's now turned into a thing. So last night, people were going, I wonder, will he, because he mentioned so much, so much of Ireland, but he hadn't mentioned, mentioned Tala. And a girl called Kiva from Cork decided to write on a piece of cardboard, will you come to a party in Tala? He spots it, points her out, the cameras go to her, and he starts talking to her and tells everyone the Tala story. Yeah. It's it, just fantastic. Here, here's Kiva. did it in the queue, actually, because me and my cousin are up here from Cork, and I was telling her the story. We were, we were at the concert in 2015 as well when he said about Tala. And we were on about the story and then someone behind us had an extra piece of cardboard and like a, a marker. And they were like, does anyone want to make a sign? And I was like, oh, we will. And I was like, what will we say? And my cousin's like, Tala House Party. Let's ask them about the Tala House Party. We want to hear the story again. Yeah, you, you, you just happened to have a piece of cardboard and a marker <laughs> handy. <laughs> but you know what I find mad, right? There were people doing conga lines right right along the pitch. We were watching them. There were certain songs that people were lying on the ground and watching the stars as he was describing, you know, about the songs and everything about it. There were certain songs that, you know, I, I'd have half known, but even the ones that I even half knew, everyone was dancing about to it because everyone was in such a good form. It, it just, I, I walked out last night going, wow, that was a special moment. The mm. cameras, the, the whole setup that he had, the, the, the cra- you could see the crowd on the stage the way the cameras were like, and I know people have said that his Wembley gigs were very like the Freddie Mercury uh, Queen moments, you know, when he was he was shouting to the crowd and they were mm. singing back to him. Yeah. And I, I, when I Com- heard comparing him to Freddie now, when you're talking to someone like me, is who was in <laughs> Slain, is, is is pushing it a little bit, but he's a super performer. <laughs> he's incredible. No, he, I like. I'm a, I'm a bit of a fan of Harry Styles. I, I didn't think I was. Yeah. And here, here in work in Dublin, they're like, will you shut well, up well, talking well, about him? Well, actually, as an artist, I, uh, he is maturing because his new album actually started reeling me in. Yes. Oh, yeah, everyone. And I think that showed last night as well that it, it was an audience of different ages. But I didn't see that many kids. Like, it was mostly adults. Yeah. Mostly adults, yeah, but adults he's, of all ages. He, he's, the, 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 the showbiz correspondent who said in when they broke up that Harry Styles should be okay, I think they should have put money on it at the time. Of the day. Actually, he responded to to Quiva. Uh, here, here's the clip of that. I've been to Taliwan. Do you know what happened? You got head I got head <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry now, right? I mean, for the people of Tala, Joe, you know, I mean, can you imagine that being their claim to fame? Like, Harry oh, Styles the- got butted at a party. And who was the young fella that did it? That's the thing. Like, is he walking around telling people in bars that he had voted? Crossy Cross, your mission, should you choose <laughs> to accept it, is find the nutter. <laughs> Oh, God. Imagine that video, actually, that TikTok that Kiva from Cork posted on our TikTok has over 100,000 views Already. in the last 12 hours. 
Wow. Um, which is incredible, right. you know, to show that. But yeah, it was a great gig. You go find, go find the nutter. Go find the nutter. Because that'd be the story of the year. Listen, across, Thomas Crossy Cross, thank you from FM 104 in, in Dublin. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Cork's 96 FM. So Hug was set up by Fiona Toomey in 2018. Um, her own daughter, Millie, uh, died by suicide. And Fiona had been looking for a support group for her to try to rebuild her life and rebuild herself after the tragedy of losing Millie. And she found that there wasn't anything there. So, like a lot of Irish mammies particularly have done, when it's not there, you go and you provide it yourself. So she set up Hug. And the first time I ever spoke to them was I spoke actually to Fiona and she was looking for people to come forward and maybe set up a group or a branch in Cork that could to get get together and you know keep in touch with each other and offer each other that kind of support. Then about a month ago, or maybe a little bit more now, they were on again with me because they've got a Cork group and they're now looking for to know would anybody be interested in starting a second group of Hug. And Hug are all people, all the members and all the facilitators are all people, parents who've been affected by the suicide of a loved one. Listening to that interview the last time was Lisa and subsequently she contacted us. Lisa, you were listening when we were talking to the lovely people from Hug uh, about the work that they do for people bereaved by suicide and I think it struck a nerve. It did because first of all I thought that the lady who spoke spoke so well and how she kept herself together I will never know. Mm. And she makes such a valid point that when you when that does happen, you do need to speak to people who understand. Mm. Yeah, it's a skill you can't learn. You have to know it. I don't think so. Yeah, unfortunately, you just kind of have to go through it to have any sense of mm. how bad it is. What happened to you? How much do you want to share? Well, I'm happy to share everything, really, because it's important. Mm that, you know, the recovery afterwards is done properly for those left behind. Mm. And I have, I think like things like Hook should be broadcast uh, more, you know what I mean? Mm. There should be an easier route to get to it, mm. you know? Mm. What's your own Because I'm a couple of years down the line and that's the first time I heard of anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Was it your daughter, Lisa? Who died yes. Who said? Yeah. She was 17. Oh, my God. And um, she was out with her friends. I came home from work on Saturday, and she was there with her best friend, and they had, like, princess crowns on, and, you know, the makeup was out of this world, but they were wearing jeans, like they were going to a party, she said. Mm. And I was like, geez, you're not really dressed for a party. She was like, oh, no, it's just up in the house. And, you know, so I said, Grant, see you later. Have a good night. And that was it. Now, at 17, she would have been 18 in the August. So I was happy for her to have a drink. You know what I mean? I was fine with it. Yeah. 
I'd recently found out she was smoking and I wasn't happy about that, you know, mm. but I was a smoker myself. So. Anyway, off she went and she came home and her eyes were kind of glassy and I was like, oh, you had a few drinks? And she was like, yeah. And then she goes, I'm going to bed. So I said, me too. She said, good night, mom. Love you. And I said, good night. And that was the last time I ever spoke to her. Okay. I'm sorry. I, oh, I know fine. I'm crying and it's difficult. It's but. So I woke up the next morning and I was putting her uniform on the rad. And my husband was making breakfast because we always had Sunday breakfast together. Yeah. And I went into her room and I went up and I touched her and she was freezing. So I screamed for my husband and we rang 999 and I worked on her until the ambulance came. Mm. And I knew she was dead because she was ice cold. Yeah. And the ambulance came and they took over and then the guards came and um, I, just, I was just waiting for them to tell me what's, what's the next step? What do we do? Mm. So I have to say like the guards were fantastic mm. because they said straight out to me, Lisa, we have no training in this. Like, I have a 17 year old son myself and I worry about him because he doesn't talk. Yeah. And I was like, I wasn't worried about her. I don't know what happened. Do you know what I mean? I was like, this is unbelievable. Yeah. I, d- I just couldn't believe it. So um, that's why I said when you were talking about the guards, they're the first response to a lot of things we don't kind of take into consideration and they're not trained for it. Yeah. And God love them. They tell you, you know what I mean? And they were so compassionate and kind. So um, then they come and they removed the body and they took her to the morgue. And the morgue rang me and they said, we're going to take good care of her, which I thought was lovely because, you know, and um, yeah, that was it really. the day off and the, the following days and she was really popular she used to go to Nakadoon every summer and work with kids you know who, who needed help and yeah. she had a lot of friends but there was like five girls mainly yeah. and they were super people and did any of them have any inkling at all that something mightn't be right nobody, with her? No? nobody nobody no because if she didn't want you to know something, you wouldn't. Well, that, that's, being, to be that, honest, that's 17 for you, like. Yeah, and I respected her privacy as well too much, probably. I never took the phone off her and think, you know, I was always, I trusted her to tell me <laughs> if there was something. And she did tell me a lot, like, you know, she'd say, Mom, I'm having a drink. And I'd say, yeah, you're nearly 18 now, you know, I, yeah. I get it. These are going to happen. She was with the girls. I trusted them 100%. They had great parents and we all kind of knew the story. And they were hilarious bunch, like her friends and herself. They all looked like each other. You know, the way you'd say I can pull my child out of a crowd, I'd be like, I'd have difficulty with that if if the girls were with her. You know what I mean? I have a daughter myself. I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, Yeah. because they all kind of morph into each other a bit, don't they? They do, yeah. They do. 
So, um, yeah, so after that, um, I kind of just did what I was told, you know, go or I had the um, the home based crisis team calling to me to make sure I was OK and stuff. And I was like, this is weird because they'd come in and like first thing they'd ask you is, um, do you feel suicidal? And I would be basically looking at them going, how do you think I'm going to survive this? Like, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. And then they'd say, um, did you have a drink? And I'd be like, I don't even drink. What are you on about? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I felt like these questions were totally irrelevant. Yeah. So I said it like, I was like, this this is making me worse. So then they decided I'd go up and see a doctor. Right. And then each time I would go up, it would be a different doctor. So each time I would go up, I'd have to go through the same explain. And by the time I'd get to the end of it, sure, I'd be in pieces. Mm. And then they'd say, go away and come back in three weeks. And then it would be another doctor. You know what I mean? So I wasn't happy about that. And then I was thinking of, like, because there was an amount of children attending there. And I was like, these kids are coming in here, getting a new doctor every time and having to re-explain. Is that not re-traumatizing them to the trauma? These were the the mental health services, like the... Yeah, because yeah. that's what it felt like to me that I was being re-traumatized right. each Every time, time I went had to in go there. through the story. Yeah. yeah. So then I started writing letters. Why does this happen? Yada yada, all that kind of thing, you know. And it's wrong, you know. Hmm. And um, anyway, that went on for a while, and then I had this one particular doctor, and I. I literally, I I rang my own GP that week. I was like, I'm not getting any better. I need help. Mm. I'm going to go to the mental health services because I'm aware the GPs don't have the proper training. You know, they they deal with so much that they can't specialise in this. And off I went. I, I told my husband where I was going and I asked my friend to come with me. So she came with me and I went into this doctor and I said to him, I want to die, like, I just want to die. And he said to me, um, did you drive here? And I was like, what? He said, did you drive here? And I was like, are you listening to me? I said, every time I close my eyes, I see my daughter. Mm. And I don't know what to do. How, how can I make it stop? And then he said, do you watch Netflix? I was like, what the absolute hell is going on here? And I said to him, I can't even leave the house because mm. I get panic attacks and I started taking half a sleeping tablet to leave the house. And then he looked at me and he said, you do realise that your sleeping tablets are overprescribed. And the problem with people like you is if you can't get the drugs, you're going to turn to drink. I was like, what is going on Hang here? On. A-, a medical professional said this to you. Yes. Yes. And I have a letter of apology from him because when we left, I told my friend what happened. We were walking up the road and she was like, this is unbelievable. She rang my GP. See, what I was doing was I was reliving the trauma because each time I went there, I had to repeat it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So this wonderful nurse put me in touch with a group who we've called the Sunshine Group. And for the first time, after a very long time, I met people in the same boat as me. Yeah. 
and they helped. But the difference between me and them was I had found my daughter. She was my only child. I had remarried, so I I wasn't with her dad anymore. Okay. And I was very alone. This is sometime after uh, her death, I take it, was it? Yeah. And um, when the first time I met them, I couldn't even get a word out. I was bawling. Like. And then I, I was humiliated because I didn't want to come across crazy. I just wanted someone to help me. Mm. You wanted someone to did. kind of look and say, we've been there. Yeah, yeah. And I realised as I was listening to them talking about their journey, how badly my start in the um, mental health services was handled. Hmm. Because the first thing you learn after living trauma is it's unhealthy for the patient to relive it. You know, and yeah. they made me do that each time I went because it was a different doctor. Because you would have thought, right, you went in, you explained it the first time, notes yeah. should have been written up, and even if it was another doctor you saw that next day, they should have access to the notes, they would know oh, the yeah, story, they... so you don't have to keep revisiting it every time. That seems like yeah. logic. They do have access to the notes, but it's do they have time to read it, so they're basically talking to you, flicking through the pages. Yeah. That's basically it, and it was, it was, it was annoying to me because I was like, "You need to get this right. Mm. You need to get this right." You know, I'm, I don't know what to do, and you're supposed to help me, and you're not helping me. Mm. You know. Yeah. How many years on is it now, Lisa? Six. And you're still you're still not writing yourself. No, I'm still in the system. And right now I have this fantastic psychologist and I said to her, uh, don't you think it's too late for me? And she said, no, we have to try. Yeah. And I love her because she's brilliant. But I'm very aware of uh, the damage that was done and I can't let it go. Yeah, like not only had you the trauma of your daughter, but then you had you felt you were traumatized by by the response of the services. Yeah, every time I went, every single time, and I remember talking to one of the psychologists, and I wrote him a letter of all the things that happened, and I said, "Use this because I know what I'm talking about," mm. you know. And I asked him, you know, have you lost? I loved one to suicide and he said no I said then you don't understand mm. so I'm going to write it so you can use it so you can help people <laughs> and yeah. he was lovely but like at the end of the day PJ um, I do have a vendetta for our health system I definitely do with good reason mm. because during a time where I was traumatised I had to write so many letters in order to make them stop yeah. But the the system didn't help. In fact, in your own view, it, it made, made you me worse. worse. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? Now, um, you get a lot of kind of like 
if you said to someone, what's my dream? Oh, it's to have no mortgage and, you know, not to have to worry about finances and stuff. You change when you lose someone like that because, like, your biggest fear is true and then nothing else matters. Yeah. You know? So I wasn't about to go suing PHC or anybody. I wanted it to be fixed. How are you now? I'm the most antisocial person because I can't. Are you going to contact the the people at Hug? I did. You did? They're so lovely. I did. Of course I did. I was like, thank you, because I haven't cried with relief in years. Right. And tell me about calling the bureau. Not to tell you what anyone said to you, but tell me about calling them. What was it? A, a new level of understanding or something that you met? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know? Um, I would say I was never a social person, but I was a hairdresser, so I could. I kind of self-taught myself how to be social. Yeah. I'd never meet you for a coffee after work. You know, I was never one of them. But I always, I felt like connections with people were harder for me. And I had my daughter, so she was like, I was obsessed. You know what I mean? (laughs) And um, I said to the lady in Hug, like, thank you um, for making me feel like there there is support for people now. Mm. And thank you for letting me cry with relief. Because I haven't in a long time. Those are powerful words, Lisa. Thank you for letting me cry with relief. Those are powerful words. It's true. Yeah. Oh, sorry, excuse me. I said to Fiona, I'd be so afraid to actually see PJ because I'd be like the Blair Witch Project. Do you know when you tell yourself, don't cry, now, just make a point. You're grand, yeah. You know? And I'm very glad you've chosen to let it out here because I think what you're telling me and what you have told me will resonate with a lot of people who perhaps have never had the strength to speak it the way you've spoken it. I hope so. And to recognise, you know, that our, the guardy, I feel so sorry for them. They deal with so many things that we don't think of. Yeah. And there's no support for them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And love them or hate them, their job is, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Yeah. You know? Lisa, thank you so much for talking to me. Look after yourself, will you? Thank you. And you deserve a pint after talking to me. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely woman, Lisa. A bit early in the day for the pint, even for me, but yeah. Uh, and I know that that may have been distressing for some people but it's her uh, direct personal experience and I thought when she said that Hug, she felt she could cry with relief for the first time ever. If you want to contact them it's a very easy website hug, H-U-G-G dot I-E H-U-G-G dot I-E all the information and deeds you need are there. If you want to look for help right now you can talk to your GP or you can talk to the Samaritans but uh, Hug having heard them talk to me on the show Lisa called them and you heard what she said 
called hugg.ie. Oh my God, I'm bawling here listening to that lady whose daughter died. I really want to give her a virtual hug. Look after yourself. That's from Anne. Lisa's story bringing me to tears, the heartache of that poor woman. Uh, and terrible, another inefficient service. And that was a longer conversation that I had with Lisa. Um, one or two things have changed in the system because of her campaigning. Since, since she, some of her letters got read by the right people who did the right things, which is even better again. 0818969696. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. After two years of uncertainty and cancel festivals, the West Cork Chamber Music Festival will finally celebrate its 25th anniversary in Bantry from June 24 to 3rd of July. The programme is packed with more than 70 concerts and for more details visit westcorkmusic.ie Access all areas Coming up this week at Musgrave Park the Chemical Brothers make their first return to Cork since Fela 95 The duo bring their block rocking beats to the stadium on Thursday night with tickets still available at ticketmaster.ie Access all areas You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition coming up or any gigs by emailing us on aaa at 96fm.ie Access all areas with Harvey Norman and JBL, your specialists in sound this summer on Cork's 96 FM. Lots of people reaching out with love um, for Lisa. Uh, that lady's broken my heart. I suffered terribly from the loss of loved ones. It was amazing to listen to her. Yeah. If you have lost a loved one to suicide and you want to talk to someone who'll get it, who'll understand, H-U-G-G We must talk to them again soon, actually. They're some incredible people. 0818 96 96 96. Now, down at the Cork Counselling Services, uh, they're very busy, too, with people who are just overwhelmed with the stress of the last couple of years. And I suppose just when we thought the pandemic was in the rearview mirror, we end up feeling the sharp end of a war a few thousand miles away and a cost of living crisis and people struggling for petrol and diesel and fuel and food and clothes for their children and all that sort of thing. And that can get on top of you and get on top of you quickly. And there is a service there where you can just go and someone will help you with it and help you how to avoid getting overwhelmed. Debbie Hegarty is with the Cork Counselling Services. Morning, Debbie. Good morning, PJ. You're busy, I'd say, because a lot of people thought, you know, once the pandemic begins to ease off a small bit, sure, everything will be fine. And then the war happened and the petrol went up and the food went up and it's not getting better any time soon. And that can get very, very overwhelming. That's correct, PJ. And that's what how we can help really is to help people manage that overwhelm in some way. Mm. Um, we've been open 40 years, just to say that. Congratulations. This year's yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so we've been helping people to manage stress for 40 years. And, you know, in this day in 2022, there are a huge amount of external stressors. But, you know, sometimes the stressors are internal. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about management of that this morning. Talk to me first of all about the concept, Debbie, of what counselling is. It's a word we hear every day in some shape or form. What exactly is counselling? 
if you were to define it? Um, God, I mean, well, <laughs> such a big question. Let me try and narrow I think it down. I think you. it's because for someone who might be feeling a bit, you know, yeah. under pressure at the moment, I'm talking about this service and they'll say to me, well, what is, what is counselling? What happens when I go into the room and sit down? Might be easier to say what it isn't. What it isn't Great. is a friendly chat between two people, um, two or more people sometimes, because you can obviously, you know, provide counselling to more than one person at a time. There could be a family or a couple, could be a group. Um, but what it isn't is a friendly chat. So, like, at least one person in the relationship has done a fair amount of training in order to help them to support others without rushing in to fix or rushing in to rescue or rushing in to mind. Um, and you might be saying, but sure, surely that's what's needed. You know, you need to be rescuing people out of trouble or minding them or parenting them to some degree, even if they're adults. But the opposite is true, actually. What you want to be doing is trying to empower the person's already existing resources. So counselling is something but it's not something you do to someone it's something you you in some way are with you know so yeah are you identifying yeah. the skills within the person themselves to say okay here's what's on the table here's what's on your plate there's an awful lot there correct but you're also seeking the whole time for where the person has resources where they have resilience um, where they could have resilience, where they could have resources, and they may be blind to that, those resources. So a resource is, you know, can be a neighbour, can be a helpful family member, something like that, that allows you to open up outside of the ruminating that often happens in chronic stress in particular. Mm. How much, you, you mentioned the internal things. Mm. A lot of people... Would, would I be right in saying this? A lot of people actually have it within themselves, the power to reorder stuff, but they don't see it. And one of the That's jobs correct. of a good counsellor is to show it to them. That's right. And we try and stay away from even terms like good. You know, we're, we're in some way wanting just to be good enough, as in good enough uh, to be there for someone in the way that they want you yeah. to be there. So you're kind of tailor-fitting your approach to every client. It's, it, there's never kind of a one-size-fits-all. Sure. and there's, In my view, there shouldn't be because that's not yeah. in some way helpful at all. But there are practical ways of managing stress in particular that an overwhelm, which is around, I mean, it absolutely is, and it's been around for, since the beginning of time, but today we're more op open, we're talking about it more, and the stressors are more available to us. They're, they're in the media, they're, we're, we've instant access to information. So I think those are factors as well that make 2022 just a little bit more yeah. uh, discussable, well, if you like. Yeah, what, what kind of things are, are people bringing to you? I mean, is it the obvious, like, you know, money is short and the bills are getting bigger I dread the children's, the cost of sending the children back to school. Is it mundane day-to-day -day stuff like that that's getting on top of people? I don't think so, PJ. I think, uh, to be honest with you, like, stress has two contributing factors. I mean, there's one, the lack of information, and two, the lack of control. Yes.
So if you're trying to manage those two factors from outside of yourself, trying to, for example, uh, gather in all the information that's available in the world about, for example, something like the war um, or, you know, the coronavirus or something, that that in some way can help, but it's not actually the key to managing the stress or indeed trying to control your environment in some way um, may seem like an obvious choice, but it's not really... Uh, as helpful as it sounds. I mm. mean, there's some part of this has to do with healing and we could all do with, with a strategy for healing because it's been a very, very challenging time. But even outside of external factors, sometimes it's stuff that's the stimulus from inside mm. that causes chronic stress really? is my experience. Really? Well, yeah. yeah. I'll, yeah. Come back, I'll come back to that because I'm a little surprised what you said, but like the cost of living in inflation because isn't it a thing that you know one th- one of the things we like should train our minds to do if we can is to decide or to discern what it is we can control and control that and let the other stuff control itself but the the day-to-day cost of living is almost out of control for some people now so that must be stressing them a bit hugely hugely but this is the place where it gets. We could have an interesting conversation, you and I. For example, fire away. The, okay, so you know the outside stuff. A lot of it is out of our control. So if we try and manage our stress levels, you know, by trying to manage what's outside of our control, we're going to end up in in chronic stress. So actually, the solution is is about a hundred years old. There was a a German physicist called Max Planck who discovered something and called quantum physics a hundred years ago. I studied him in college. So there. There you go, PJ. So somewhere within his discovery actually is the um the route to change. So he came up with this wonderful saying, which is if you change the way you look at things, the things you are looking at change. So you're looking at something and if you take an attitude change to it, it can often help in terms of the stress that's happening inside, which is within your control. All the stuff that's happening around you is at some level out of your control. But certainly within yourself is the strategy for managing stress or chronic stress, believe it or not, no matter how difficult it is. And your early listener speaking about the death of a loved, loved one to suicide, I mean, you'd imagine that God Almighty, that has everything to do with that, and it does to some degree, but there's also ways to be with it um, that can help, that can help to heal, which is to find a way to manage your attitude towards it. So that's, this is the kind of Max Planck thing, and yeah. like he, it, it was such a huge discovery that there's still research institutes in Germany, you know, working under his name and looking into research in, in lots of different sciences, the social science, the human sciences, all the life sciences, natural sciences, and coming up with some very ordinary solutions that people can do for themselves and that can support them through stressful times. And uh, counselling, of course, being one of them, um, but attitude being a big one. And I've come up with this kind of, if you like, anagram or something that takes in the word attitude. So if you bear with me, I can, yeah. like there's eight letters in attitude, right? So okay. you start with A, and this could be just something that people could make notes of themselves. I'm happy to 
make uh, send you just the, the the piece and you can make it available to listeners. But so we start with the word attitude and and just the letter A. So if you find a place of ex- in, within yourself to accept A, accept that you might need help. That's that's a great place to start. Mm-hmm. That you're trying to manage this on your own and you're not succeeding. The second one is around for a long time now. We talk a lot about mindfulness, but like T, the T in attitude is take a deep breath inwards, followed by an out breath that's very much, we'll say, intentional. It's actually the out breath that will regulate what's happening for you around stress, which is an activation of your nervous system. So on a very practical level, you can begin at home before you ever reach out to someone by, by breathing in a particular way that takes a deep breath inwards and followed by a very intentional out breath and the out breath being the part of breathing that heals. Yes. So then in the, th- the, the three, we say the T of attitude, the second T, is to just turn towards your own f- physical sensations, if you like, um, kind of doing a body scan, noticing where you can sense the tension, noticing where you can sense there's no tension and in some way just being with that a bit. Now, I, that sounds very um, it, almost ethereal sometimes, but yeah. in practice, it just has you breathing into a spot where you feel tension. It's very often in the back of the neck, the shoulders, the upper chest and sometimes yeah. lo- lower belly. And if you just breathe down into those those parts of you in a kind of a welcoming way, saying, ah, yes, here we are, that's information, it tells me I'm stressed. I see, I see. And believe it or not, that movement in it, in and of itself is mm. can be in some way healing. I, I won't have uh, time to go through all of the letters with you, Debbie, but okay, if you send it on to me, I will definitely read them. Uh, to, to people. The one thing about though is like self-empowerment we hear an awful lot about that um, Yeah, you know exactly. kind of learning to discern the stuff you can actually control in, in maybe the two minutes or so that we have left Yeah. How can we do that? Well yes exactly so again you're coming back to you and your relationship with yourself and if your attitude towards yourself is in some way changed, meaning if you get a bit more accepting of here I am, you know, I'm trying to manage this all on my own. I'm not doing a very good job. I need to reach out. And something like that can help you to manage. Um, But certainly, you know, if there is distress, uh, when it's witnessed by somebody else, especially somebody else who wasn't trying to fix you or take it away from you, then there's healing in in that. And that's where counselling comes in, I suppose, really, PJ. So, You've people be, trained to sit and witness. Be prepared yeah. to be prepared to reach out for a little bit of help because it is there. Um, you have an event coming up now. It's not until August, but you're celebrating That's your forty correct. years. Yeah, we are. So, it's in the Kingsley Hotel, and it's between six and nine p.m. on Friday, the twenty sixth of August. We've a number of guests, and I won't list them all out. But if you go on to our um, website, um, carcounselingservices.ie. Uh, the front page of it has um, a blog, if you like, that that lists what's happening, what we what we're looking for, and I suppose what we're looking for from the public really is some kind of voluntary help um, in terms of organising the event. If people want to be involved, if they want to make a donation, that's always welcome too. And there's a part of the website that's dedicated to donations as well. Um, so we're here forty years in Cork City. Oh. 
we've been doing a great job. We're still open. And, um, you know, the bit to maybe the takeaway, uh, PJ, before I leave you is, you know, if you you need someone to witness your distress, it's just helpful, especially Mm. if the person who's witnessing it isn't trying to take it away from you. They're just willing to be with you while you're, uh, legitimately distressed about something. You need then to it's feel seen and heard. You need to be seen, heard, witnessed, it, mm. and accepted to some degree. But sometimes that has to come from outside of yourself before you can gather it up inside. If that makes sense. Well, Debbie, if I might give you one compliment, is I could I can understand why you are a counselor because I could listen to you all day um, talking, <laughs> talking about this. So listen, thank Aww. you very much for being with us. We, we will talk that. again. Congratulations on the, the 40 years that event is in August and if there's anything we can do between this and that we certainly will. Debbie Hegarty from Cork Counselling Services. When we're adoring Adele, are you thinking it's not easy on me? And has our love of Justin Bieber got you not wanting to stay? What I want. Tell us the music you want to hear. And what songs should disappear with the Cork's 96FM Music Panel. Take our 10-minute music survey. And you could win a 100-euro penny voucher. Give it a go right now. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Give me what I want. Or see 96FM.ie. <laughs> the lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, do you want to win a 100 euro voucher for pennies? There was a time when you could only buy your own pennies for 100 euro. <laughs> But if you want to win that voucher, then get onto the 96FM website and vote for the next uh, set of the fresh new music we play. And we could be sending you in to shop for free. It's a 10-minute online survey, 10 minutes of your time. It's the Cork's 96FM music panel. You choose the tunes and then you could win the 100 quid. It's an easy one. It's an easy deal. Uh, Do it now. Uh, 96fm.ie Remember I was talking to Trish between 9 and 10 this morning talking to me about the the disgraceful state of Bishop Lucy Park with bird poo and dog poo and the old fountain full of litter and everything overgrown with nettles and broken glass everywhere and she said it was disgusting and she had her granddaughter in there and she just felt ashamed embarrassed about it Uh, why don't they just clean it why doesn't City Hall just take even a flipping power wash in there and just clean the damn thing? Um, we got a few responses to that. Why don't they make someone accountable for all the parks and what gets done and what doesn't get done? It's not what we pay our charges for. Are the city council that irresponsible? They hold nobody accountable. There's a parks department. I wonder why they don't go in and clean it that regularly. Uh, you're, that's right. You go to any of the towns in Cork, they're pristine. City council doing nothing for the park. Michael says, could we invite the city manager to comment on the reports you've just received? This is Anne Doherty, of course, the chief executive. Uh, shameful, disgraceful, and visitors of the, to the city expected to sit there and enjoy their sandwich. All over Europe, parks are kept clean, neat, and tidy for tourists. We have requested a statement from City Hall, by the way, because I do want to get to the bottom of why it is that. And you see them out in the morning, those the lads that do the litter pick in the mornings, and they have... Uh, a power washer and they use it on the streets 
you'd get an awful lot of bird poo off an awful lot of seats if you just took that thing in there for an hour. I was one of those tourists in the city yesterday. I left Cork in the early 90s and I was home to visit. And I'm just sad to see how shabby and dirty the city currently is. I've lovely memories of Cork being squeaky clean, vibrant and full of life. Now it's just depressing. We can and we should be doing better. Thanks for all of those. If you have any thoughts, 0818969696. Now of all the characters on television, all the characters your children watch on television, who was the most hated in your house? All think of the characters now, like there's Peppa and there's that big bear in the hoot and in the house and there was loads of other ones whatever. The guy I hated with every last fibre of my being was this fella. I, I just couldn't take him. Oh, this isn't how friends should act. And I know that you two are good friends. I think maybe you've just forgotten some things about sharing. <laughs> It seems to me that sharing is a special way of caring. Even now, the hairs on the back of my neck are going up listening to him. Joanna Fortune, good morning. Good morning, Peach. I'm just laughing, <laughs> listening to that voice there. Is, I know, I know. And that was the, the one that they, they dubbed over. The, the other voice was a bit more creepy. But, but the, the, <laughs> the, the whole sharing is caring thing. I mean, as a psychologist, you've done a great podcast on this. Like, it's not as flippant simple as the big purple puffball was telling us. No, it's not. And it's not this kind of mantra, one line, sharing's caring, sharing's caring. It's like we're trying to force a message without actually embedding. Why? Why is it caring? And what if I don't want to do it? And, you know, I always think of it that learning how to share, it's a process and it can't be forced. Encouraged, yes, of course, that's fine, but forced, no. And if we get into this whole forcing our kids to share, then the sharing, it's not real sharing because if I'm sharing something with you, I'm a willingness is required, isn't it? I have to be willing to give my toy to you or whatever it is. If I just hand it over with gritted teeth because you've made me do it, I'm relenting. And that's about reluctant. I'm reluctant. And that's what dominates the action. So I'm filled with resentment. And I learn to hate sharing, not embrace it at all. Mm -hmm. And I see it as something that's a consequence, which it should never be. So yeah, I always have this thing about, you know, sharing is caring and the question of, is it? Is it really though? And I think As most things, PJ, if we start with ourselves, because we're always the ones who model behavior for our kids. And I I always think of this example that if I, as an adult, walked up to you as an adult and said, oh, I really like your phone. Can I have a go of it? And then I walked away wailing when you said no. (laughs) Would you give me your phone? I, I doubt it. But we ask our kids to do that all the time. And then we get embarrassed when they say no to other kids, even if they know the other kids or it's a stranger. You know, it is okay for our children be it with their siblings, friends or strangers in a public park or a playground Mm. to want to protect and safeguard and enjoy their own possessions, their own belongings. Mm. Now, look, we might reflect afterwards, oh, I noticed that little boy or girl was really interested in having a go and playing with you, but they moved away to play with someone else when you said no. They didn't seem keen to play. You can reflect it. So your child is getting that bit of, oh, so... If I'd given them the toy, they might have hung around with me. Mm. It's much more effective if that comes from your child than you directing this all the time. I remember one of my kids had an inspired teacher who who changed the whole sharing is caring thing into learn to turn take. Yes. 
Yeah, and that you I would fully them, agree with that. If you if you can't, you, like, and the Barney was the thing, and and this particular teacher said, look, teaching the kids to share. Every parent wants a child who's who's willing to share their sweets, their toys, whatever, unless they understand the principle of taking a turn. Then then you're yeah. never going to be able to share. No, I agree. And the key word is what you said there, PJ. Everyone wants a child willing to share. So willingness is what you're looking to develop. So sharing, it's a process. It takes practice. It takes patience. It takes time. And yes, it's an important life skill because, you know, it encourages generosity and flexibility, adaptability, lots of social connections and relationships are formed through it. But it cannot be forced. It should be encouraged and praised. But exactly what you said there, the line that comes to my mind is, you know, oh, you know, your brother or your friend would really like to play with this toy as well and I know when you feel done with it that you will give them a go because you're so kind like that so it's a gentle definite nudge but it's a gentle nudge without crossing into explicit direction and then when you do say see them you know play a little bit more with their train or their dino or whatever it is and hand it over you can praise the kindness so they get to see oh it's a worthwhile thing to do and they're more willing to do it so I mean I'm not saying don't get them to share. I'm just saying don't force it because when we're forcing it or if we use it, it should never be a consequence, you know, because then they begin to resent it as, oh, you only share when you're in trouble. Nobody's going to want to do that. And then they don't get the pro-social benefits of sharing. And there are lots because, you know, exactly as you've outlined, and I love the turn-taking language really matters with this. It really promotes reciprocity and compromise and fairness and cooperation and collaboration. It really, but they, they learn how to share, not by being instructed to do it, but by seeing and hearing the yes. value in it. Yes. That means seeing and hearing us do it as well. Is playing games, simple games, that involve taking a turn, is that a good way to bring the concept into a toddler? Absolutely it is. And, you know, I remember myself doing this with, you know, um, a box of blocks and, you know, breaking them up in a way that I would take all the reds and yellows and give my child all the whatever blues and greens. And then I would say, oh, would you like to have one of my red blocks? And maybe I could have one of your yellow blocks. And of course, they want a, a mix of colors. So we share them over and back and at the end I'm able to say oh we had so much fun when we shared together but we did it rather than me saying now here's the lesson of today would you like to share yours with me it's about doing it but I also think PJ we have to hold in mind the developmental age of our kids toddlers for example don't understand sharing as a concept because they don't do impulse control and they really don't have a fine let's put it mildly, they don't have a fine developed sense of delayed gratification. When they want me. something, when, they you're, want when you're three, now. it's all about me and it's entitled to be. Of course. Of course. And that's why we're doing a lot of my turn, your turn, my turn, your turn. And what you can do with that is pass a ball backwards and forwards, hit a balloon forward and back between you, doing things that it's my go, it's your go, even doing any little games that involve, you know, um, ro- rolling a dice. Their understanding of dice games is limited, but I have a go. Oh, six goes. Now your go, now mine. We do it with them. Now, a little bit older than that, they can somewhat grasp, you know, when they're coming into that preschool into junior infant age, they can somewhat grasp that others do have feelings and cause and effect thinking is developing when I do A, B is an outcome. Hmm, interesting. If I do C, D might be the outcome. But it's developing rather than developed. So they'll have good moments and less than ideal moments with that. And we have to expect them to go forwards and 
Mac. It's much more that they're getting closer to that kind of six, seven age before they're really able to manage this and they have that greater capacity for emotional self-regulation. It's not happening at those young age. But there are things that you can do, of course. You can have them do a toy clear out and package up things that can be donated. And of course, we should all remember only donate things that have complete pieces and are in very good condition. Otherwise, you're not really donating, you're offloading stuff, but helping your children package up and pass on that you're done with this, give it to somebody else, Mm -hmm. that they see you doing clear outs and saying, I'm going to be giving these to the charity shop or to wherever I'm giving them so somebody else can enjoy them and have fun with them so that we're modeling those things. But games that involve turn taking, even with our older games and games that have inherent chances of winning and losing, all encourage those impulse control development that is an integral part of Mm. this but it takes time I really want to emphasize that like your two and three year old is not going to get it it's about growing and nurturing the capacity for sharing it's it's, it's It's a a a life skill Um, here's this coming on on whatsapp um, asking me to ask you is all this reflection on sharing does it border sometimes on encouraging people to become people pleasers if you get it wrong with your child you can encourage them to become a people pleaser Yeah, and it is a fine line, isn't it? Because it's very nice. Let's call a spade a spade. It's very nice to have a pleasing young child. And it's a very little issue for you, but you don't want a compliant, people-pleasing teenager because the teenagers really need to find their no. They need to find Mm -hmm. their protest. It's part of their developmental task. I know there's probably a few parents of teenagers going, no, thanks, I'd happily take a compliant teenager off your hands. But actually they're saying no is what stops them getting into trouble. I don't know about your kids, Joanna, but I know that uh, when mine were teenagers, uh, they turn into into mean beasts for a couple of years, but that's absolutely (laughs) normal. It's it's important as well that they can, that part of the task in adolescence is that they can establish, you know, they're nothing like us. Where did we come from? Oh my God, you know nothing. And they find their way back to us. You know, we talk about terrible twos, they quickly become the terrible 12s and 13s, you know, as well. But there's a whole other set of behaviours in line. But all of this is about learning that there is a value in forming connections with others and that my things can be mine and I can feel protective of over them and it's okay for me to prioritize that and when I'm done I can offer you a go especially if I've learned that might elicit something I want from you in other words I'd like you to hang around me and play with me oh you know what I bet if I gave you a go of my scooter you would do that and I'm learning there's a value in it but it should ideally come from our children encouraged and praised by us but not directed or instructed by us. Joanna, I've no doubt we will talk again about the the science and psychology of, of raising kids. Uh, the, yeah, that podcast is very 15 minute. 15 minute parenting is Joanna's podcast, and she wrote a book as well about by the same name. But uh, the turn turn taking is a skill. I I just get this fella out of the room. Oh, just get rid of him. Get rid of him. Friend should ask. Go away. And I know that. Go you away, you annoying purple creature. Oh wait, one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six.
96 FM. He's the titan in the 10 gallon hat, the global country music giant that is the honorary Irishman, Mr. Garth Brooks. Morning, Garth. <laughs> How are you, sir? Hey, this interview's over. I enjoyed it. That was <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, well, what is the plan? Do you think you're going to make it down to Cork? Uh, will you get a little helicopter spin down to, down to the south of the country, Garth? We do not do helicopters, but uh, we have the time to travel. When, when, when you say you're going to have time to travel, you won't need much time to travel because, you know, like Ireland is the size of one of your malls over there so you'll probably see it in about an hour <laughs> I can tell you this yeah. there won't be a second wasted Casey and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool exclusively Skoda in the city find your next car online at noeldc.com open 24-7 Debbie Hegarty came back with that attitude thing spelt out for me so I'll give you that before we finish today and people calling us about bird poo of all things there's more of it I, I knew I wasn't imagining it there's more of it around than, than there ever seems to have been before that and plenty more to come before we uh, quit at 12 today but today is Women in Engineering Day yes it is no I didn't know either but it is it's Women in Engineering Day and I'm joined by Janvi and Magali both of whom are engineers uh, Janvi, you are an electrical engineer and Magali, you're an electronics and communications engineer. Good morning to you both. Janvi, I'll start with you. When did you decide that engineering was a career path for you? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Um, I think engineering was right, right in school, I'd say, because I was very passionate about physics and uh, electricity or electrical in general. So I, I think right about when I was finishing my eighth grade or high school, I, I think that's that's when I said that, okay, this is what I want to do. Yeah. I, I didn't know engineering as such, but yeah, I, I knew something around the field of STEM. You so, knew yeah. what you wanted to work with. And Megali, the same question <laughs> to you. When did you decide or when did you realize this is an interesting field and one I'd like to get into? Yes. Uh, good morning, TJ. Hello, everybody. Thanks for the invite. Um, well, for me, there was a different story. Honestly, I, I wasn't sure about what would I like to study, uh, but it was more like a collaborative effort. My, my teachers encouraged me like, hey, you, you can do it. This is an interesting path. Uh, you are good at maths. And, and my parents, in particular, my dad, um, played a, a big, big role, in, encouraged me always, like, come, come on, Magali, just give it a try. If it doesn't work, well, you, you can choose another career. So I, I think that I, I must thank to my parents for, for that decision, and I have no regrets. Definitely they were right. It's, it's an amazing career. Yeah. Were there a, a lot of women in your class when you started study, or were you the, the one woman in a, in a group of men? Uh, yes, well, in my classroom, we were very few, very few. I don't know if, if you are aware or people is aware of our statistics, but women in engineering, we are uh, very few. In, in the general global numbers are around less of 17 percentage okay. in the classrooms. So we tend to be the either the only or maybe two or three <laughs> females in, in any rooms where we go. Was it the same with you, Janvi? I was pretty much the same. I'd say in engineering, we did have uh, 50% 
female engineers in class. But as you go higher up, so when I did my master's, it became less. And once I started working, it was even less. Um, so, yeah, I, I think as you go higher up, the percentage just gets getting lesser. And people, especially women, they change careers. Mm. For, uh, they, they take something other than engineering, I'd say. Yes, yes. And going into the workplace then after graduation, uh, did did you did, did you find that the a- attitudes to to female engineers were different? Like if you got a call, say, to a a, a, a client for the first time, and they say, "Oh, a woman," did, did you ever have that kind of a, an experience? Sure. Yeah, you take Go that ahead, one, Miguel, if you want to. Okay, okay, yeah, thank you. Yeah, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm I'm laughing because definitely we we always get a reaction, especially at the beginning. Once that you build up your your career and and people knows you, uh, it's it's different. But I think that due to the lack of role models uh, of female engineers, mm. it, it creates a reaction. You know, like uh, some people wouldn't expect that you are also an engineer, has the rest of your colleagues. Uh, so, yeah. Mm. What are your Yeah. Uh, fortunately, I'd say um, I haven't had a reaction, at least at least to my face until now. Uh, f- fortunate, fortunate for that. Yeah. But I definitely say that my male colleagues, they they it's not it's no one's um, it's fault or something, but it's just that no one's used to having a female engineer in the team, mm-hmm. I'd say. So that happens a lot. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not unpleasant, but actually, you know, we we talked about um, before the the concept of if I can see it, I can be it. And and people like yourself for the Mm -hmm. jobs that you do, you're encouraging more young women and girls to to take that path. Yes, definitely, definitely. I I think like. We need girls. We we need we need more more girls studying engineering. Uh, the the numbers are there. I mean, we we are globally a minority uh, in in different fields, especially in engineering, in STEM in general, but especially in engineering. And diversity is important. So, young girls, if if you are hesitating on on deciding this path, give it a chance because because we need your perspective. We need your your inputs here. Yeah. Um, it's Due to the numbers, there are many, many efforts around. Here in Ireland, there is uh, this group, Women in Technology and Science in Ireland. It mm. was founded in, in the 1990s by Mary Mulvihill. Yes. She was a science uh, journalist. And and we are aiming there. We are both uh, with members, right, and, and volunteers there. And we aim to recruit, retain, return, and remember women in STEM. It's, it's important to show and, and make awareness of, of the possibility of, of having this path mm. as a career and as a life. Yes. And Magali, we've just, as you know, finished the Leaving Cert and a lot of young women would have done the sciences and done the maths and might be thinking about an engineering career. Would you encourage them? Oh, definitely. Definitely. It's, it's amazing to be doing something new. Innovation is, is it's an ability. It's it's imagine something that it doesn't exist anymore. So if you are enjoying 
the different innovations that we have so far, well, those were created by different groups in, in different areas, construction, civil engineering, biomedical, electronics. Just just look around. We are living in a completely different world yeah. that we were even a decade ago. So be part of the change. Yeah. It's 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 interesting. It's rewarding, and and it's not impossible. That that's something that I most stress a lot. Like it's not impossible. Yeah. Uh, it's and it's super funny some days. <laughs> yeah, it's it is. You know, just a, a question to you both be, before we finish up, and and this is not this is coming from just a place of having observed it from a few being a few years on the planet. I think men and women. Their thought processes, the way they process thought and, and things, it is different. Does the female, this is an interesting question for you both now, Does do you think that the female thought process, the way the female brain interprets and uses information, do you think you've got unique skills to bring to engineering because of the way your brains work? Magali? Well... The, there is indeed interesting topic on research about it. You know, there is there is a new concept that uh, some researchers are talking about neurodiversity. Yeah. But but it's not only related with gender diversity. You know, diversity it's created by by the aspect that we are not equal each other in in, in different backgrounds and uh, gender and ethnicity and uh, preferences. You know, diversity in general. So there is. There is a coming now new research around that, and it's not necessarily just talking about the differences between how females brains work and and male brains work. It's it's towards the general approach of how different perspectives can build up more than seeing the yeah. the, the the innovation from one yeah. side only. You bring a different set of eyes and via a different pair of eyes and a different maybe a different processing into a discussion and 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 it's yes. a, you, you can bring a you can bring a, a you can bring a, pro, a a thought process to the table that someone else might yes, absolutely pj um yeah. like like magali said it's I, I don't think it's about gender exactly because every person i'd say brings a different thought process or insights and women mm-hmm. represent half the world's population yeah with the current uh, climate change or energy scenario or microplastics in the air, um, mm-hmm. we, we need all hands that we can get yeah. in, in STEM and engineering. So yeah. definitely I'd say it's, it's each individual that's bringing a different uh, different perspective. Mm. Yeah, but that's a, more, more than a, 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 a broader answer to my, my rather narrow framed question. Yeah. Thank, <laughs> thank you both for it. It's a fascinating discussion. Uh, thank you both for being with me. That is Janvi and Megali, both of whom are engineers and we had them on for a chat to, to talk about Women in Engineering Day. We've been talking about STEM and young girls going into STEM for years now. And I remember talking to uh, the great talk, Dr. Tara Shine last year, the year before, about the whole concept of if I can see it, I can be it. So with people like that in the in the market, as in, in the job, in the engineering job, more and more young women are, are taking the chance and, and, and selecting those careers and good to hear it. 0818 96 96 96 on parking and the city and the park and all of that. Cork City has turned into a violent dump and the council care little. If you want to see an example, there's nothing too small for them to stop doing. Patrick Street is under pressure with beggars, empty buildings, the recovery from COVID, 
There used to be a flower bed outside Marks and Spencer's. Gone. Too much hassle for them? I think that actually got vandalised. One of them did anyway. One of those lovely flower plant beds got vandalised by some gobshite in the early hours of the morning and they just took it away rather than just just finishing it. Yes, I said Adele was on. She said the number of boards, the number of, the amount of boards droppings, board poo on the platforms in Kent Station is disgusting. Couldn't believe it last weekend. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I might, I might have to get one of the board people on about this because I'm fully convinced. And I'm just going to throw it out there. No need to come back to me today unless you absolutely want to. Are you cleaning your garden furniture more often this year? I mean, I'd say two or three times a week now, I've got to fill a bucket of water, soapy water, and go out and clean the chairs and the table because the flipping birds, you know, and it's worse than previous years. Or am I imagining that? I think it is. I think there's an awful lot more of it out there. These are the things that come up on the programme. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Quartz 96 FM. Uh, do you remember the, the, the whole no mow may thing where people let their gardens grow a bit wild for the month of May and some people then decided to keep it going for the entire summer and there are some even down here where I live there were some very wild gardens now uh, some of them at this stage are nearly the grass is nearly a foot high and there's colours and things grown there that have never grown there before and then what was amusing I thought at the time was that it was one of those gardens won the overall award at the Chelsea Flower Show now that's got to be one of the most prestigious gardening awards in the whole world and I'm joined by Adam Hunt who was the designer of the winning garden and Valerie Keating Bond who was part of the team who built it and Valerie uh, you're from Cork this was the pictures of it are amazing It, it looks like it looks like the kind of garden that you just sit there and watch it go mad but I'm sure there's more to it. Good morning. Good morning, Peter. How are you? Thanks Good. so much for having me. And on. congratulations, by the way. Hi, Adam. Um, you know, it, it it is. It looks like the kind of garden that you just sit there inside in the kitchen watching it going crazy. But I'm sure there's an awful lot more work to it than that. God, absolutely. Yeah, it was a very complex um, planting scheme that involved riparian meadows, wet riparian meadows, drier meadows, um, damp woodland, wet woodland. Um, marshland so the the planting itself was very complex mm. um and very thought of and very well mm. um tried, you know a riparian um, meadow so is a meadow by a river isn't it yes it is yeah. it is um so yeah there was an awful lot of planning gone into it wasn't there adam um, yeah i mean it's a it's a year in the making a chelsea right. garden at least here pj yeah, yeah. Um, where, where did the what, idea come from to to do a wild garden like that well, what we wanted to do was show, it, it was a landscape really conceived as a garden. And what we wanted to do was show the natural processes arising from beavers being released into the uh, countryside. It, it was taken from the southwest. Beavers? So it's both beavers, yeah. Wow. Tell me more about Which that. Which were named? Well, well the, 
the the beaver went extinct in the uk uh, about 500 600 years ago it was hunted to extinction um there's never been beavers in ireland um although some people think that uh the landscape would benefit from them although that can be a bit controversial but they are slowly being reintroduced into the uk in pens mm. and we've We've been fortunate enough to work on a couple of projects where there are beavers on the landscape. Um, what they do is extraordinary. What they're, they're what's called ecosystem engineers. And so they create habitat for a whole range of other species, be it birds, animals, insects, right. the whole lot. Because they're fascinating little creatures. And I, I, I was aware of them having become extinct in the UK. But Valerie, I didn't know we did never have them. Did we ever have them in Ireland? No, never. Not to my knowledge. No, never. Yeah. But they're fascinating little creatures. You watch a video of them. David Attenborough has done stuff on them. You know, they're, they're, they're fascinating little creatures. So how do they work in, with, with meadows and gardens and, and plants and all that? How do they create a, an ecosystem? I'll let Adam answer that. Well, um, what they do is they, they create a series of dams, which is basically they do that because the pools create an area for them to feed. But by creating those pools, they also create habitats for a lot of insects and small juvenile fish which of course brings in all the uh, all the birds and the animals that prey on them they particularly benefit water voles amphibia and wading birds and so for example storks which are slowly making a comeback in the uk will often be we've seen them on uh, beaver landscapes hmm. but the the thing that we're interested in as well is that there's a lot of native plants growing uh, in Ireland that sometimes get overlooked when people are gardening. Mm. Um, and the thing about the native plants is that they they tend to be more beneficial for nature because there's insects and birds and bees that have all grown up, uh, evolved to to feed on those plants. Yeah. Um, so we're not we're not saying we, we're we're keen gardeners. We love gardens, but mm. we're saying if we could a little bit of wild into the garden, yeah, then we're creating habitat and it gives everyone a chance to do something beneficial for the environment yeah and, and a lot of are really concerned about what's happening the loss of uh biodiversity the loss of species is worrying a lot of people and i think it's a small thing that we can all do to help the, 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 yes go ahead Barry. yeah well that ecosystem as well you know um and i think it's really important for um for us to uh to be part of that ecosystem, you know, for our mental health and yeah. for our, uh, our regulation of our nervous systems. Yeah. Um, and it's just to bring it into into our gardens and into our, our own communities. Um, I don't think nature has to be just in the, in the countryside. I think we need it in the yeah. cities. Well, well like um, I said, now, I, live in, I live in a housing estate and, and, and during, during May, a lot of the people just let the front gardens go a bit wild. And what, right. I, what what impressed me most was the colours that I began to see after three or four weeks. Uh, and like you said there, Valerie, like they are a whole diverse range of plants and, 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 and strange flowers, and they attract different animals in. Well, that's it. I mean, I'm, I'm living in a housing estate as well, and I just really want to open my window and look out and just see... A landscape which is created by everyone's gardens you know so lots of trees lots of um corridors for for bird life to be able to travel through freely and so that they feel safe um and i think that's kind of where we begin mm. by creating safety nets for for the pollinators and for the bird life mm. um my own 
garden when I came here first was just grass. And over the last eight years, I mean, I think there was just crows and um, seagulls. And now <laughs> now it is just amazes me. Blackbirds, um, so many different hoverflies. Um, it, it has really made me drop to see what's happening in my own garden. It can be done. Mm. Um, but I definitely look forward to opening my window and just seeing, uh, you know, canopies of trees everywhere. That would be just wonderful. Yes, um, yes. And I remember the, the morning that this uh, win of yours, this great win, was announced. Uh, I thought it was very appropriate for the, the sort of, of changing thought processes that we're having with regard to how we manage and run our, our own little small gardens at home. I thought it was a, like a huge endorsement of that, that you won. Oh, yeah, really it, was. It, it felt like that, and we won it on on the normal criteria so it wasn't the theme that won it it was the execution mm. and what we're finding is a lot of young people coming want to come into this uh business of ours garden design landscape design and horticulture and they're all coming in with a very very green mindset mm. that they're, they're very keen on what they can do to help nature it's mm. not just about long rows of box and, and a rose garden although that is beautiful in its in itself mm. it's also about how habitat in our landscapes, in our gardens, in our community spaces. Valerie, are the, are the days, do you think, of the, the manicured lawn and the tending to the flower beds with, with little small shovels, are they gone, do you think? Um, no, I don't think so. I think there's a place for everything. Um, I mean, I love I love formality and I love I love the craft of gardening. I'm a gardener myself and I think it's, a, it's an amazing craft to have. Um, but I do think there has to be a letting go um, and a letting, like rewilding is is basically about us changing how we've been conditioned to 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 understand gardens, like the, yeah. the Victorian straight lines, the hedges. Um, like it's funny, I came home from Chelsea and I won't name names, but we call him my father, had piped um, <laughs> at my, my privet hedge and I literally got him my bags and there was champagne in the porch and there was banners and there was, you know, everyone was so excited. But I literally looked at my hedge and I was like, okay, he didn't read the brief. <laughs> he didn't read the brief. Um, so, I mean, I, I like to let things go a little bit further than some people might feel comfortable because I think it's a great food source. You know, even this morning, every night, I see the blackbirds flying around the place eating June berries. The, the, yeah, well, I also have snails, but that's getting better. Um, I just really want people to stop. I think the main thing is stop spraying your garden with yeah. nasty stuff. Yeah. I think that makes such a difference. Um, and every few years, my issue with black fly and green fly definitely are getting better because, um, you know, the pollinators are looking after it for me. Yes. So this year is the best. The bird life in my garden this year is the best. Um, so I think... It's not gone, but I think we just have to be freer yeah. a little bit. There's, there's, there's room. There's room for the difference. There's there's room to to let the, the wild stuff go in its own corner and have the perfectly Absolutely. tended lawn in its own corner too. Listen, congratulations yeah. once again to you both. I know there are pictures up there all over the place now of the garden, and it's it's, it's wonderful. I, I I was joking with you at that start. You just sit there and and let it go wild. There's a hell of a lot of work in it. So congratulate you, congratulations to you both, Adam Hunt who designed the winning garden at the Chelsea Flower Show and Valerie Keating-Bond who was part of the team who built it and Valerie is from Cork 0818 96 96 96 Now I want to come back to Debbie Hegarty uh, 
Yvonne said, I dealt with Debbie on a personal level. She's helped so many people, including myself. She's amazing. She's just a kind and thoughtful and empathetic, understanding person. It was wonderful to hear her on the radio. And Debbie sent in the attitude, uh, the acronym, accept that you might need help, take a deep breath, turn to your physical sensations, have an intentional interest in how you are. A temperature change. Like, take a cold shower. Something as simple as that. Utilize your support network. Reach out, ask for help. And keep a mood diary. Keep a diary. And educate yourself about the impact of stress. My mother has an old saying. Is it my mother or someone else has an old saying? Stress will kill you quicker than cancer. And... It's true. It's certainly true. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Eugene, oh don't, oh don't you? Well, I, I don't, don't Eugene. Better days are coming. And another big announcement musically uh, is coming from Mallow, where the great Hot House Flowers are coming to town for Cork Rocks. Andrew Hogan, general manager at the racecourse there. What a signing! I haven't. I saw these guys yonks ago, and they were brilliant. Yeah, no, I have to agree. They actually came. We had them here in 2019, and to be honest, PJ, I didn't know much about them then, but they were absolutely brilliant. It was like I think they were. Their set was meant to be an hour and a half. They nearly played for three hours. I've never experienced anything like it. The hair was standing but the back of my head. The atmosphere. It was indoors. It was absolutely brilliant. So, um, anybody that was here back then is still talking about it. So we're really excited now and looking mm. forward to it again this year on the eighth of July. And obviously with COVID and everything. It's kind of our first time having live music after racing, so really excited about it. They've been going since 1985, and they've broken up and come back together a few times. And they've all sorts of different influences, like they were rock band, gospel, soul, jazz almost. Like when they get into a session, they're extraordinary. Yeah, no, I was I was just blown away with them the last time they were here. So really looking forward to having them back, and they're such a pleasure to deal with. Um, the lads, like their Liam, the last time came down on the train and walked out. <laughs> so they're um, no, really looking forward to having them back now. It's um, really excited, and the the eighth of July, and mm. tickets are um, only. Uh, 20 euro and OAP is 15 euro so it's great value get racing and music afterwards yeah because you have a full race card that evening haven't you yeah racing gets underway at 5 o'clock and then hope the music will be starting around 8.30 so um, you have a, a great evening now and um, obviously like we have brilliant facilities down here and you've, it's going to be an indoor gig so very intimate as well so no uh, really you, really you put on shuttle buses from the train station, which is a genius idea because it's a little bit of a toddle out the road. Like, 
Yeah, a small bit. It's we're, 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 it's great. Yeah, um, so the shuttle buses that bring you out in five minutes from the train station. It's free shuttle buses from Mallow Town, and um, like the shuttle buses will be running till the last train back to Cork, which I think is about eleven o'clock. And sure, there's no, there's don't worry about getting home. Get here. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's it'll be a great gig. I, it's a long time since I saw them, but they're just exhilarating to see live. It's a fantastic catch for a uh, Cork Rocks. I know you've, you've got the, the you've got the great Declan Nerney there as well on the 22nd. Yeah, we've him on the 22nd of July so looking forward to that and obviously he's a brilliant artist too and it's our first time trying country mm. at the at the races so no really excited well, and bookings look strong for that as well so. I DJed before um, and after him in Mill Street one time and he puts on a fantastic show so he does Andrew you're in for two great nights the 8th of July and the 22nd of July Cork Rocks at Cork Racecourse in Mallow full nights racing and great entertainment that's just about it. Sheila says, I don't know about garden furniture when I see more board messes on the washing. At least you can hose down the furniture. But washing, you have to go through the whole damn thing again. I know, I know. Yeah, Eugene wants to know where the famous hanging garden went. Oh, many a programme was devoted to that back in the day, Eugene, you, you, you naughty man. Uh, good luck to Lisa Hegarty from Mallow. She's representing Cork and Ireland in La Palma next week. 1st July at the European International Off-Road Running Championship. Good luck to her from all of the Hegarty families at Clover Hill in Mallow. And that's it. I better get out of here because I'm over time. We're back in the morning just after nine. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.